Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. How are you doing this afternoon, evening, morning, whenever you're listening to this fine podcast coming into your ears? Hopefully, you're sticking around from last week's episode. Holy crap. I really, you know, I knew it was going to be a popular episode when we had... Pat Flynn from Have Heart Fiddlehead on, but wow, a lot of people just dove into this show and were like, man, I never even heard of this podcast. Thanks for thanks for doing this. So if you're joining us again for another week, thank you very much. Tell some friends, pass the word around. This is, uh, this is not a secret, you know, this should be for everybody. Anyways, I'm Ray Harkins. I'm your host. I am here talking to people who are involved in independent music, who contribute to it in a meaningful way, who have been affected by it in a meaningful way. And that's, uh, that, you know, those are things that, uh, those, those are two funnels that I fall into. I've contributed to it by doing this podcast and doing a bunch of other dumb stuff in music. But then, uh, I just love this stuff so much. Like I recently got, a, a, a windbreaker hoodie. <laughs> and then I also, or no, no a windbreaker, uh, a camo windbreaker. And I also got a, uh, new record from a, a demo that I absolutely love this band called inclination, uh, from Kentucky straight edge hardcore band does it right. And the, uh, the, the camo zip up that I got windbreaker was from uh, cabal three, one, five, a great, awesome clothing company done by uh, hardcore dudes all out of the Syracuse hardcore scene. But anyways, I got these things and I was like, this reminds me of what it's like to be 15 years old ordering from the Victory Records catalog in like 1996. You know, I, I so distinctly remember for Christmas one year, I went to my mom and I was like, mom, rather than you going around and, you know, shopping and trying to figure out stuff that I'm into, could I just order a bunch of this stuff, this merch and CDs and whatever from this uh, record label catalog? And she was like, oh yeah, go for it. So here I am at Christmas time, opening up like earth crisis <laughs> hoodies in front of my grandparents. And they're like, Oh, cool that you got this. But anyways, I just love music. Okay. And I, I'm glad you do too. Who do we have this week? We have Lex Marshall from daughters. He is the vocalist and, um, he is such a cool dude, such a sweetheart. And, uh, I, I only had like a limited exposure to him, which I, you'll hear me about here about in the interview, because I mentioned to mention it at the uh, top of the discussion, but it was such a good chat, but, uh, let's, let's put a pin in that discussion for a moment. I want to encourage you. If you are not a subscriber to this podcast, like if you just, you know, randomly pick and choose episodes to listen to, please subscribe to the show. It actually helps the show's rankings. It, uh, yeah, it just helps the show in general. So subscribe to this thing. Don't just randomly download stuff. When you remember, subscribe it, all the new episodes will come directly into your podcast catcher of choice and uh, it helps the show. Okay. I, I know I do that. I, down, I, I basically subscribe to every single podcast that I listen to. 
um, on a semi-regular basis, even if I don't actually listen to that particular episode. So subscribe, please. I also want to tell you about rockabilly.com, our great merch partners, because they have so much amazing stuff. I actually want to visit Minneapolis, where they are located, because I've been told from a few friends that their warehouse is unbelievable. Just stock the gills, ready to ship you out merch. Use the code PCJabberJaw that will get you 10% off your order. And I love them so much. They have everything you possibly could imagine from a band merch perspective. They got... They got beanies, they got hats, they got long sleeves, they got banners, they got posters, anything you want, they have fast shipping. I love them so much. Thank you, Rockabilia, for your continued support of this very show. So what what do I wanna what do I want to tell you more about? I don't want to. I just want to talk about Lex now, okay? So Lex is the vocalist for daughters. And, uh, for those of you that listen to the year end episode know that I wasn't really a fan of the record or like, I didn't really know how to access the enjoyment of the record. And then our friend of the show and very good friend of mine, Jeremy Bolm was like, dude, just skip the first song and then you'll totally unlock it. And I did. And I love the record so much. I'm actually seeing daughters in probably about a couple weeks when they come through Los Angeles again. And, um, this record, their new record is so, so good. We'll, we'll play a little song from it, uh, in between my intro and, uh, the discussion with Lex, but, uh, just so good. And, uh, here he is. Okay. That's what we're doing. Lex, thank you very much for coming on the show. And I'll talk to you at the end of the episode. Cause I have a fun episode next week that I want to tell you about. So here's Lex. I, I was aware of as the sunsets. And like I said, we played together before, but, um, the moment that, uh, you know, the, the news filtered out about, uh, you know, daughter's existence and, um, you know, I just like, I, I mail ordered the seven inch city of hell. That was the label that put it out. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I, for whatever reason, I was just like, you know, so hyped up on it, you know, ordered the, you know, super limited pink vinyl and I was, you know, really excited and was like, man, this is so good. And, the thing that I wanted to ask you uh, that, you know, I mean, it's, it's probably difficult to reflect on, but that was like, you know, right at the kind of infancy of the, you know, internet being a thing with an independent music as far as, you know, mail order. Because I remember, I think I had to, you know, send $6 like through the post or whatever. But um, <laughs> I, did you, uh, but I, there was a palpable sense of like the, uh, I guess, excitement or anticipation of, you know, the release of that seven inch and you guys kind of coming on the scene. Um you know, did, did you find it interesting that like people were, you know, I guess excited for your next sort of musical project or was that something that was just completely like lost and you're like, dude, I'm just playing in bands. Well, you know, I, well, I wasn't aware of the, not that I wasn't aware of the internet, but it was still, be, it was beyond me at the time. Cause I didn't have a computer. Um, you know, I didn't have a, even a iPhone until like uh, a few years ago. Like right. my, my, my buddy like got me an iPhone cause I didn't have a computer and he would, bought an iPhone for me. We're on the same plan. I was on like his family plan. Cause I'm such a fucking child, right. That I can't even have my own phone plan. I'm like my friend with his wife in there. I'm on their family plan. So he just like, got the iPhone and could flip phone. He brought it over. And, um, so that shit was beyond me. So the fact that people were talking about us, uh, and I had, I would hear things, right. You'd hear, uh, like there was a post when as the sunsets broke up that, like the most upsetting breakups of the year. And it was like the same year botch broke up. Number one was botch. Maybe this was on like 
early lamb goat or something. Lamb goat existed at the time, I don't recall. Right. And then we were number two. And we thought, why are we number two? No one gives a shit. We've been touring. We're putting out a record. No one, gives, no one cares. No one's coming to see us play. Um, but from As the Sun Sets, uh, we were featured in alternative press. Uh, <clears throat> they were doing a band's, you know, I don't, I don't know if they still do it, but they did the band's, the hundred bands you should know. Oh yeah. Right. Yep. And we were on tour as uh, daughters was on tour. We were doing a winter tour and it was Christmas or something. And we were staying with a friend in Texas. We had a couple days off cause we are so fucking so dense, right? We're, we're, we're not making any money and we're a bunch of idiots. So we're touring like, over, like on Christmas, like what are we doing when we at home? Right. Um, we had no idea that this isn't, you shouldn't do that. You should just stay home for a little bit. We just thought, oh, we'll book this tour, we'll just drive around, I don't know, so we had a buddy who lived in Austin, we stayed with him for a few days, kind of had to take a few days off because of Christmas and all that. But I remember in his house doing this interview, this little, uh, you know, he had a computer, so we had to do the email uh, interview for AP and, you know, mention bands we like and bullshit like that. And there was a little feature in there. We were in there with, uh, it was like the used and minus the bear. I found the magazine recently because I've, we've been, we've moved a few times over the past couple of years and I've had the magazine around, um, in my office, you know, uh, and I, I had all these old, old, uh, clippings and, and, you know, issues of this and that and the other. And I found that and, and was kind of flipping through it and saw that and looked at the other bands. And it was kind of funny to see, uh, all the bands that were, you know, check out these new bands for next year. And it was always <laughs> pretty popular. It's like, wow, that was an interesting year for, for bands. I don't really remember, but you know, mine's the bearing was in there. And, uh, yeah, the used and uh, maybe from first to last. There's like all these are fucking stupid bands. Well, you felt it, but, it, to, to your to your point, it definitely felt like, especially in those lists, that uh, you you had this uh, you know genre specific thing where it's like, okay, we need at least five bands to fall in the you know noise art rock category, and we need ten bands to be the Warp Tour band or whatever. You know, I understand what you're saying. Though. Yeah, it's a random. We, we, so yeah, so we didn't know how the attention got to us or how people found us because seemingly no one was able to find us when we were actively uh, playing and uh, recording and all that. And you know, we only did the seven inch because we needed something to sell. Like, um, basically the first as a uh, daughter's tour was, was supposed to be an as a sunset tour and as since it's broke up and uh, we did a tour of the uh, examination of the, uh, was a band from uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Great band. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Outstanding band. And, and, and just not, nobody knows who they are. And, um, which isn't a surprise. I mean, I think Hawthorne street put their stuff out and like very early Hawthorne street, like yeah. it's kind of obscure label time. And, um, you know, we play, we're, and it was, just, it was basements and VSWs and all kinds of bullshit. And, uh, which is the point is, or was at the time. Um, so, so, you know, we were kind of going through uh, the motions of still sort of being out of sunsets, maybe to some extent, but we had a handful of songs. We recorded them to put out a seven inch chest to have something to sell while we were out. Cause obviously we couldn't take the as a sunset catalog with us uh, and sort of scrambled and recorded real quick and uh, put it out. A, a, our buddy of ours, um, Brian and Ryan, two uh, good friends of ours kind of started the label in an effort to have a release or, or to release our record and thought like, well, this will be our first release. And, uh, you know, this is easy. We'll use these are our friends and we can just work together real quick. And, 
um, you know, because as I said, like no one fucking knew who we were or really seemed to care in at the sunset. So we, we didn't think that anything was going to come with the daughters. We were just going to keep playing and see where it goes. Um, so thankfully we had friends that were going to start a label to put out our record, you know, thankfully yeah. we had a tour that was already booked so we could tour because nobody, again, no one. Right. I love so, to, to interrupt your train of thought. I love the idea. Yeah. Like I, I did not know that the, uh, I mean, I knew the transition between both the bands was, you know, like relatively quick, but I, I was not aware that it was like you were, you, you had something already booked and it was like, all right, well, we got to change the name and obviously we got to, you know, get something out <laughs> under the, like, I just didn't know it was that seamless. We started, <clears throat> we started that band. We started daughters. Um, like on as a sunsets tour, basically, or at the end of the tour. Right. So the, the final as a sunsets tour was, uh, we'd gone down to Florida and we had a, that seven, seven, four, four album coming out. That was to be released by, uh, undecided, right. Undecided records. Yeah. Right. Undecided out of Florida. They did a, you know, a, hand, a handful of releases. They did what super machinery, which was like Jake and maybe somebody from Deltonic, Jake from uh, Converge, and Um, uh, would they put out uh, they, Eiffel? Yeah, they put out Eiffel. Or? They also put. I think they put out the uh, or they re-released the first Poison the Well EP. They, yeah, it was kind of their yeah, the biggest yeah. release yeah. or whatever. Right, which was a re-release, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so they didn't really have any bands, but we we got them. Had a really terrible experience. They didn't seem to give a shit about us, and we're sort of critiquing the way we were per- per- performing. And you know, our, our guitar player one was he got really really drunk and kind of like threatened to punch break someone's nose and uh we didn't know the guitar player who would he wouldn't show up at practice and uh um you know he was oh i can my mom's sick i gotta stay with my mom and then we like drive by his girlfriend he's like cars at his girlfriend's house he's like, motherfucker you're hanging like so we kind of found we had these people were that weren't dedicated and we went on tour we had an unpleasant experience with the record label and although the shows were okay we just thought there are three of us here that are very serious. We're the primary songwriters. We have two guys in this band that are kind of half-assing in and not really interested in what we're doing. We stopped at a gas station and maybe someone like the Carolinas, one of the two Carolinas or the Virginias or whatever it was. And Jeremy and myself, uh, Jeremy was a bass player in Edison Sets and John was a drummer. I said, we're, we're going to break it. This is, we're all done. We're going to start a new band. We get home. Jeremy was going to do a noise project with a guy who's going to call it Daughters. And uh, I said, Jeremy, don't use that name because that's a really cool name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to take that name, start a new band, the three of us. We'll, um, we can find two other people to play. Jeremy will start playing guitar. And we can, like, we're the three songwriters. We're this band. We're going to start a new band and it will be seamless, right? I mean, we're the three doing all, we're the three doing the work. It won't be any different should be easy peasy right Um, right. so the transition so the transition was super simple um it was kind of difficult to you know on a a personal level to break up you know we'd all been playing together for several years and um i was good friends with uh one of the guitar players we had known each other since uh you know high school and junior high or whatever it was and you know we worked close together we uh used to install appliances for uh, Sears and Best Buy, uh, also the shittier Boston region, you know, Jamaica Plain and all these like, terrible neighborhoods. Uh, it, was, it was a fun job and he was a good guy. We got along well, but when it came to music, he just kind of wasn't, he was doing it to do it. And we, we really wanted to do, we wanted to go out and tour and, um, and, and, 
but and, and while we did that, we wanted to function. <laughs> it would not have be not dysfunction. So to have him out uh, like throwing shit and getting too drunk to stand up and thought, which is ironic because that's eventually what I started doing. Right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, be, you, you took a few pointers. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I mean, with this through, we were in a van, you know, together. We didn't know that that uh, we thought like, well, you know, that was like. Hey, we're all in this together, man. We're brothers and yep. we're touring and it's all one. And then it was like, get a little bit of attention and all the drugs are free. And you just kind of go, oh, I can't stand up anymore. But, uh, so the time was, uh, that's, you know, so I guess suppose that the time was really great. And, um, it was familial. Like we were very close, um, in the beginning and then on the first tour and, um, because you know we were dumb and 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 we were just playing music and you were just reading. We didn't know if anyone cared. It, right, it you didn't were just seem like anyone should, right? But, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, but we just kept doing it because we're like, oh, we're having a lot of fun and we're meeting really nice people and going all over the country and this is really cool and kind of people don't really care, but they seem to care a little bit more than they used to and and then yeah, then we kind of stumbled into that alternative press wanted to do something and we started doing interviews and it felt uh, like momentum. Ooh. I understand completely. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like something was kind of was, was finally clicking and yeah, for there sure. was an interest. Right. So, right. Right. For sure. Which was nice. And cause who knows if we, we could have gotten there before. I mean, supposedly we could have, right. Essentially the daughters was kind of a continuation of as a sunset. So we could have gotten to where we were in the beginning stages because that was like quite possibly the next step from the last two as a sunset's recordings, which was essentially the daughter seven. Um, and they're very similar, although a bit, you know, uh, a bit different, but still has a, a similar vibe to it. Um, yeah, no, I totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, it was a progression. You can see like, you know, I always tell people you can look at the progression from our seven inch to the record now. And if you go from A to Z, it doesn't make any sense, but if you look at the catalog, you see the progression. And I think if I was going to be honest with myself and with anybody, and I suppose I'm going to be honest with you right now, but that you could even step back into the last couple of recordings that has been tested and you can see, you could almost include that progression. I mean, it's a different band. Um, but, but you see the seeds yet. Yeah, it totally, you know, right, I, right. I, I agree. It totally makes sense. You see the threads that you can pull yeah. on and expand on and, you know, only through perspective and age, are you able to be like, Oh, like, yes, like I can, I can see where we, we play our instruments a little bit better yeah. or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I kind of want, I wanted to focus on you as an individual where, um, you know, you were born and raised in Providence, correct? Um, <clears throat> No, I moved to Providence in 1998. Oh, okay. Um, I, I grew up all over Massachusetts. Um, was born in uh, Bridgewater. I lived kind of uh, east west Bridgewater. Uh, lived in Brockton. Lived in uh, I lived on Cape Cod for several years. Uh, Walpole, Norwood, kind of like suburbs of Boston, like outside of Boston. Um, and. Uh, but I spent a good deal of time in, uh, once I was a teenager, my father moved to Walpole. I started hanging out in uh, places like uh, really small towns like Plainville, Massachusetts, and uh, North Attleboro, Massachusetts, that were, you know, just a just a little hop from Providence, uh, closer to Providence than Boston. So we, in the mid-90s, started going to shows and in, in, in Providence. 
because when it was closer and, and you know, two was like a little less intimidating for me personally than Boston was, which was like right. kind of like... It's a tough town. You know, like slap shot and like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and right. and um, I'm, I'm like pretty small and lanky and I weigh like 140 pounds. So what the fuck? So I'm going to go hang on in Providence where people are uh, not going to punch you in the face because they just feel like it. So... Uh, not that that was a vibe, but you know what I mean? They're my own like insecurities as a, as a young team. So, you know, we went into Providence, a lot more weirdos, and uh, of course it was closer. So, uh, you know, that was uh, like our, we were sort of welcomed into, into being a Providence band before we were ever a Providence band. Um, and this would be, a, again, as a sunset, um, playing, we were playing and we, we, we were playing in like every weekend, the same fucking venue in Providence. Cause you could book your own Sunday hardcore shows at this particular venue. Um, I presume it wasn't the so living we were room, just, right? It was, it was the living room. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And you, you could, you could just, you could call up and say, I want this day. I mean, I mean, if you were smart enough, you could like get several in a row if you call them enough in advance enough to book. <laughs> right. Um, or you would get an afternoon or if they had the afternoon book, you could play Sunday evening, like get up and do kind of two shows or, uh, you know, like Thursday, like, and you know, whatever, throw it date. But we just started playing all the time uh, in the city and accidentally playing with bands that were more established in the scene, like in the, in the Providence and the Rhode Island scene. Uh, bands like, I mean, then I'm going to name, but no one's going to know bands like At Any Cost and uh, Day After. And uh, there was like a parkour uh, band called uh, Nowhere Fast. And uh, this was like, and a lot of the kind of big-ish uh, bands had kind of expired and temperance, like these bands had broken up by the time we got there. So we were suddenly kind of brought into this scene that was kind of rebuilding itself. And, you know, looking back, it's, I, I, I'm like, I'm proud that we were able to be a part of, of, of like bringing attention back to hardcore in, in, in Rhode Island or Providence at least, yeah. um, because Newport was kind of a different scene, uh, even though the fucking state is so small, right? right. Yeah. That you'd have like two separate, areas, yeah, two separate scenes. <laughs> you in could the have state. a show, like you'd yeah. have a show on the West side of the city and people on the East side are like, well, man, I don't know. I got to go all the way to the West side. <laughs> fucking 10 minutes and you, should, yeah. you, you can take the, the fucking trolley it'll take you to the other side of town so but you know what are you gonna do so um you know it, it, it was cool man I, we we became a part of the scene and i think um in my heart i became like i'm a rhode islander now even though i was like you know 18 or whatever when i moved in there but you know that was the first time i was i was really home like that was my first real apartment that was like a, a lot of firsts for me were there in Providence and we stayed there for a long time. And, and I, and I think a lot of it was because I had moved so much growing up that, uh, this was a place where I was now old enough and I was able to, because for a couple years before that, I was, I didn't have anywhere to live. I was homeless. I was living on John's couch, his parents' house, you know, I was like sleeping in a park. I was like staying wherever I could once I dropped out of high school. So, uh, I, I really didn't have anywhere to go. And when I moved in, my girlfriend, just outside Rhode Island, uh, just outside Providence rather, in town Johnston, um, we broke up and I sneaked right into a buddy's apartment and needed a roommate. And, you, and then it was like, I'm an adult, you know, I use the term loosely, I'm an adult, I make my own decisions. I'm now fucking in control of where I'm going to live and I'm staying here, I'm never leaving. And I lived in the same apartment for like almost eight years 
on the same shitty, shitty apartment. It fucking crumbled around me uh, in a literal sense, but I stayed there as long as possible. And, uh, cause I finally had control of something in my life. And it was like, I was going to, I had, you know, somehow become Rhode Islander in, in some way. So yeah, no, that, that I always hated admitting, I always hated admitting like, I am not really from here, but like, no, I'm kind of from here. Yeah, well, it's the first time. It's the first time where you you, know, you put roots down because you know when you like you said I I, I like the point that you made where it's like you actually have a choice and you have authority and you know a lot of the times you know up until you're you know eighteen nineteen years old you don't feel like you have much authority and um, yeah so yeah. It, it totally makes sense and so and I know that you you've you've mentioned this in other interviews where you know you had a, a tumultuous upbringing as far as like you know your 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 parents were never together and you were kind of moving as you suggested all around Massachusetts and stuff like that um, are. are you an only child? Uh, somewhat. I uh, have a older brother and a sister. My father had uh, with his second wife, and uh, ten, what, ten or eleven years later, my father and mother had me. They were together very briefly, and then uh, you know we separated. No, I never got married or anything. And then uh, maybe like twelve years later, my mother, you know, remarried uh, when I was a kid, and then. Uh, had a like three younger sisters, so it's kind of a twenty-year spot on on either end where I'm kind of you know placed in the middle, half related to half everybody siblings, side, <laughs> half related to everybody on their side. Yeah, um, so I didn't have siblings growing up like in the house with me. Uh, weekends with my father, we'd, we you know my brother would be there, my sister, uh, my old sister would be there. You know, you know we had a very terrible relationship, my sister and I. But um, also, there's a I, I don't often mention it because I don't know who he is. We, there's a brother, my father, uh, and then another woman had a child somewhere between my brother and myself, and none of us have ever met him. Nobody knows who he is. Wow, um, that's crazy. It could be yeah. Uh, I mean, in that could be Ray, could be Ray Liotta because isn't he from Providence? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it could be anybody. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. I mean, it could be you. I don't fucking don't know. Like I don't know like, where yeah. you fall in the age group. So, like, so, but I think about that shit all the time. Where right? it's like. But in all likeliness, I mean, he's got some trait of my father. It didn't get into like a supportive scene, uh, which just sounds so fucking lame to say that like hardcore was a supportive scene for me emotionally. But uh, not that it did a good job because I'm so fucked up. But you know, using like my father, he's probably like a doing hanging drywall somewhere right. and like missing a couple fingers and has a criminal record. So you know, that's like that's his shit. But I don't know, you know, like I said, nobody knows who he is and we don't know where he is. And once my father died, the information's gone with him. So Right. You know, yeah, never know. You have no idea. It's floating out there. Um which is more strange than, than upsetting or anything. Like it's just it's kind of odd, but not I mean you know, family, like who the fuck, who the fuck are they? Yeah. People you're forced to care. They're kind of forced into a pen with these people. And yeah, you got to figure out close now. Yep. Like, yes. Got to figure out the rest of your life together. Yeah. yeah. There you go. You're all, it's, it's, it's a commitment now. You're both, it's it. You'll always be together. Like, yep. That. We're all set. <laughs> <laughs> We're like kind of all over the place. Um, yeah. That's but no, a, there's that guy. I still have a closeness with my older brother. Um, you know, family's a strange thing. 
you know, sort of playing armchair psychologist and obviously only knowing you from, you know, uh, whatever randomly meeting in the past, but then, you know, watching you play and stuff like that, you know, most people would presume that you are the, uh, you know, the, the, the quote unquote life of the party or the guy that's like, you know, uh, sucking all the air out of the room, uh, you know, maybe in good and bad ways. Um, were, were you kind of, uh, you know, is that an accurate portrayal or is that something that obviously, you know, you embody on stage or do you kind of feel yourself where it's like, Oh yeah, like I'm just a pretty chill dude, but you know, I can, I can open myself up in certain situations. Yeah. I mean, if it calls for it, I, I'm, I'm pretty shy. Um, <laughs> in, uh, most, um, group settings, you know, if there's more than four people in, I, I kind of stop talking. I don't, I'm not an alpha male. I don't battle. Like I don't want to battle for attention in that sense where to are talking. I don't, I won't raise my voice to, to lead a conversation really. That, that's, um, and I, you know, I don't know why I, I'm very, uh, <laughs> very really emotional person and, uh, I have trouble, uh, dealing with people, interacting with people and feeling uh, connected to people in a, uh, easily. But once I connect people, I kind of, it's a sort of overwhelming and, uh, so yeah, I got all kinds of weird shit going on. No, do, but no, yeah. I think people see me on stage and assume that I'm, you know, walking around and like swinging my legs and arms and, and, and talking real loud and all that kind of shit. And, and you know, that's, you know, that's not it at all. And, and you know, the performance isn't in any way uh, like a cathartic experience where like, well, I can finally be this person. I'm not while I'm on stage. I mean, it's just the performance is the performance and, and um, you know, it's not necessarily reflective of anything I'm, feeling inside and I suppose I'm kind of fucked up and uh disturbed in some way and so the performance can be a bit disgusting and and unsettling um but I mean it's like a a part of my personality but you know I I don't you know I I don't I don't know I don't know if anyone can get anything I I think that if someone just sitting and talking to me in a a kind of natural setting they may be surprised that I I act the way I do when we're playing and then, and vice versa, you know, if someone just saw us playing, would think that I'm a crazy person and I'm, I'm pretty okay. I'm not hard. Right, right, not, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not anything insane. You know, like throw the television through the, the window or anything like that. I mean, right. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I know how to, I know how to handle all, all this. My, all my fucked up shit is psychological internal. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bite your face if we meet or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because most, uh, I mean, most of our, our, our mutual friends, uh, you know, are just like, oh, yeah, Lex, like, you know, just su- super chill sweetheart. And it's like, yeah, most, huh. and honestly, most, most people, especially in the context of, you know, independent music and the world that we live in, you know, know that there is a difference between what the person does on stage and obviously who they are. But, you know, most people in the real world would see, you know, you or I perform and be kind of like, dude, why are you yelling into a microphone? Like you must be psychotic. And it's like, well, I'm, yeah. I'm broken, but I'm not psychotic. Like, you know, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, you know, performance is true. When I was, when I was young and I, and I didn't, you know, I thought that like performing was very deep. Right. I thought that when I was going to play a show, there was, was a, some time in the nineties. And this was a thing that I started doing because other bands did. And I thought like what they were doing, like there was a thing going where bands were playing without shoes on like Snapcase used to do it. And like, 
they would take their shoes off when they were going to play on yep. stage. They would have, like, car- oh, right. They'd have so carpets. Hopefully. Oh yeah. It's just, I can't yeah. Or this it. is like, this is so, well, we sit in the living room and it's just like nails and I, it was so goddamn stupid, but I was just, you know, I'm 18. I'm like, yeah. Well, this is what hardcore bands do. And this is cool. And this, this somehow means something. It means I'm like really connecting to the music and the crowd of the stage or something like in some absurd notion of mine. So, you know, play with the machine. It's all like, my lyrical content and what I was feeling and was laying it out while we performed, but it was really fraudulent. I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize it, but I knew it. You know what I mean? In a sense where right. I was going through the motions of setting this up and acting this way, but didn't have the ability to step back and kind of get an overview and think like, this is not really you're you pretending to be this person. Um, so yeah, that that was sort of my early performance where I, I maybe was pretending to be somebody for a while. And, you know, over a few years of, of performing consistently and um, I, I kind of developed my own way of, of, of just like, playing on stage yeah. or on the floor or wherever we were. Right. <laughs> yeah. You knew um, you, you were, you yeah. were more comfortable in that, uh, in that uh, environment. Right. Yeah. Well, right. And I kind of, I, I insisted upon this cathartic experience that really wasn't happening for me. It, it wasn't the occurrence. It wasn't a catharsis in, in any sense, but I had deemed it to be because that's what I believe it was to be. It was supposed to be this. So I behaved in that manner or perhaps thought, you know, uh, psychologically that I am letting something go. And I, and I wasn't, I, you know, I still feel bad and all this shit. And, um, so yeah, and I, and I go hear, I hear people say like, Oh, I perform. And I just like save up and all the shit going on. And I just can get on stage and let it go. And I just think like, God bless you, you know, cause the shit that's bugging me is, is like stuck and it's in me and it's just here and jumping up and down is not going to get it out of me. Right. Um, so yeah, I, you know, performing is strange. I don't know if we're getting back to that. Um, but I love it so much. And it's, a, of all the things I do that are music related to play on stage is my favorite thing. It's the most important thing to me. Uh, it's a, it's necessary. Um, so, so, but does it like ultimately is it helping me? Is it opening a part of my personality? Am I still acting? And is this like a person I've created? I don't, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I'll look back in another 10 years the way I look back now to 10 or 20 years ago and, and it will make more sense to me. But sometimes we're, you know, we're, I mean, we're always, we're all living this moment and we think we're interpreting it properly, but it's only with the time that you can look back at, um, yeah. Perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it makes a little more sense, but. So yeah. as you were kind of, you know, navigating the, uh, the world as a you know teen and kind of, you know, getting introduced to independent music and all that sort of stuff, um, was there any notion of a uh, quote unquote life plan? Like, you know, where you're like, Oh man, I'm going to grow up and be this thing. Or once music kind of took a hold of you, was that all you could focus on? Yeah. I just thought I was going to play music. Okay. <laughs> and then I didn't know how, or <clears throat> I, I didn't weigh the practicality against, um, the, the like the fucking desire and the fantasy right uh i just thought that this was well when i was a kid i wanted to play hockey like i played hockey every single day i thought i'll be a hockey player i love hockey this is what i'm gonna do my dad played hockey like minor league hockey i'll play hockey and i got into drugs and uh, alcohol and i thought playing hockey's hard <laughs> i'm gonna start a band <laughs> and uh 
I joined a friend's band, a bunch of dudes I got high with, and uh, you know, and started there. I was, you know, fifteen, and uh, we we you know had practice and then did a lot of cover songs, or almost exclusively, and wrote a handful of songs that were horrendously bad. But um, you know, but I was doing it, and I thought that well, this is just the thing I'm going to do. And, um, cause I'm too, irres- I'm just too irresponsible to be a real person. I didn't have a job when I was a kid. You know, my parents didn't really know what to do with me. My mother was very passive. And I think that the more trouble I got into when I was a teenager, the, the more she sort of withdrew, um, you know, she had, you know, three, she had daughters, uh, <laughs> she had her own little girls and, uh, and you know, I wasn't living there anymore. Um, I was sent to live with my father because I was kind of becoming too much to deal with. So, and my father, who who you know was an alcoholic and a drug addict, and um, just a kind of general bad person, um, wasn't a good uh, role model. And and so there was no control. I was allowed to just do whatever. There was some, no one to teach me any kind of responsibility, or I wasn't responsible for anything. I didn't have a paper route or, or chores or uh, a job. I didn't uh, have responsibilities. I was just getting stoned and drinking and staying out all night that I, when I got kicked out of school, it was kind of like, well, fucking, I was wandering around. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and of course my father, who, who, who was just absolutely no help whatsoever, and then spent a, a good deal of time. I was living there with him when he, while he was in prison. So, there were just there was no one to kind of set me in any direction yeah you were just you were operating off of instinct and child right childlike exactly so the idea that it was was like well could be in a band but then i gotta supplement my life like what i want to do like i get a job so i can pay that didn't i didn't accrue i didn't have anywhere to live i was homeless i was like oh fuck it i'll just play music sleep on some couches I'll date a girl. I can move in with her at some point. Like, and that, then that ultimately happened. So there was uh, just never a moment that it occurred to me that I have to take responsibility for anything that's happening in my life. So, so the idea of I'm going to play music and that's it was, there, there was no wrestling involved with the, with the decision to make. It was just like, here I am. I got fucking nothing going on. So music is the only thing I'm doing. And that was, that was it. Got it. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like, yeah, when you don't have this, um, you know, when you don't have either, you know, parental units or, you know, teachers and these other people that, you know, you can kind of directionally look at where it's like, oh yeah, like, I guess maybe I could do that or whatever. Or like, I'm interested in this and yeah, you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're anchorless and you're, you're floating around. So I get, I get, I get where you're coming from. Um, they uh something i always found interesting about you know providence and uh you know frankly all the bands that you've uh, played in from that perspective is that you know providence has always had this really you know robust kind of like you know noise art rock whatever you want to call it like you know very confrontational uh music from that perspective and uh you know and all the bands that you, you know, as a sunsets and daughters, like always kind of sat in the middle of these two worlds where it's like, you know, I don't want to use the word like metalcore because clearly that has negative connotations that are attached to it. But you know, <laughs> you would kind of sit in between the, you know, whatever noise rock world and then the hardcore world as it is, um, where, where, you know, most 
like you don't fit in either scene like wholeheartedly um did you kind of like did as you were navigating those worlds like did you always kind of feel that way where it's like we're too crazy for a hardcore show but then we're too i guess structured for these other shows or whatever or am i just reading too much into it no i don't think so you know providence is is kind of a unique a unique place and the scene there was very unique in the 90s and you know I can't tell you how many times we played the living room with Candiria. You know, they, they were like progressive you know, metal hardcore bands that were, that were crossing over and that people just really liked. I mean, even you think of Marauder, you think of like just a fucking hard ass hardcore band, but like Marauder's kind of a metal band. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, you know, like the master killers get some fucking hard ass riffs. Like that's like a hardcore metal record. That's like a metal core record by definition, right? It's metal. It's hardcore at the same time. And, um, you know, we kind of adopted the term, like, like you could see fucking overcast on a regular basis. They were always playing and they were like a little more metal than hardcore, but they were playing with, you know, hate breed and get high and bands like that. So it wasn't a strange thing for us to, to play a show, to play like a death metal show in Providence. And then the next weekend, play a show with 25 to life or like coming correct or something like that. Right. Right. You know, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't weird. And I think that was a really great thing about Providence is because it's a very small place, but there was a room for all of that to coexist because there was also like an art scene where bands like lightning bolt and his recovery project and Arabon radar were there. But then there were like, you know, their punk bands like, like trap data from Providence, you know, and trap is fucking like, a kind of like a seminal type of really fast, like hardcore punk borderline power violence band. And they've been doing it for, you know, well over 20 years now. And, you know, the city just, there's, there's just a lot packed in. It's like a box of crayons, right? Like everything is represented. It's all coexisting in a pretty small container, shoulder to shoulder. And it's really beautiful. Um, so there was a good deal of crossover and it never felt awkward to us. And we were excited to meet bands in other places, uh, from New Hampshire, from Vermont, from Connecticut and, and book shows and just start bringing people in. You know, I booked a show in Providence, uh, 99, maybe, or, uh, maybe 2000. Uh, it was, you know, we played as a census played, uh, prayer for cleansing, um, Dead Eyes Under was a kind of like deathcore band from Connecticut, like kind of like really heavy. And then uh, this year's model, I loved. I loved this year's model. They were from Long Island, right? The Jersey, New York era. Yeah, um, area. And uh, do you remember them? I, I do remember them. They did, I think they did a split with uh, Brand New, if I'm not mistaken. They they did a split with yeah, maybe it was Brand New or or, or something like that. Hot Rod Circuit or something. Label. Yeah, I know what you're. It might have been Hot Rod Circuit actually. I think yeah, but that was Neil from he was in Sons of Abraham. Yep. And uh, whom I love, I still still love that band. That termites and smile. I'll yeah, Jew- Jewish hardcore, band. love it. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. straight edge Jewish hardcore. L- literally like, <laughs> the only band that exists in that 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 <laughs> that classification. Only, the only band to do that to like take on that moniker, created it killed it totally. and like and it's just it's its own thing it should stay it's own thing because it's just like they did it perfectly um but uh and they were just kind of a pop it was like very uh like this year's model was a whole kind of it was about neil's love for elvis costello and 
you know, they, they were just a pop band. It, it was such a weird blending of all these different bands at that show. Um, and no one came, no one gave a shit because I was sort of province at the time. But you could get away with that kind of that kind of stuff, and um, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. You know, we were booking bands like um, piecemeal. Like when when they got together, um, and members of that band would, uh, what Kevin Baker, yeah, Hope, Hope Conspiracy, all things, yeah, yeah, right. So piecemeal was sort of his. I don't know if it was his first band, but it was sort of the band that he kind of broke out in. Um, our buddy Mark was playing drums with Mark Costello, who would eventually be in Bear Your Dead. Um, whatever the hell else he plays, plays in, uh, he was a drummer for piecemeal and, uh, maybe somebody else of, of note was in that band, but, uh, you know, band like that, we befriended, uh, this band, Ukul the Mock, who were from, uh, Oh dude, I cannot even believe like that band was <laughs> so like being from Southern California. I, I, I'm sorry. I have to tangentially tell this, tell the story, but you'll find completely entertaining okay. the, uh, so yeah, we, uh, my band taken, we always used to play showcase theater here in, in Southern California. Anyways, we played this huge show. It was like, you know, disembodied, uh, shadows fall, uh, shy Hulud, yeah. I don't, it was just a huge show. And then, uh, Grimlock and Ukulo the mock came on tour, uh, and they hopped on the show. Like most bands do, obviously. Um, All right. we were, we were the band that, you know, the local band, that got added uh, that played basically right before the tour package so we had grimlock and ukula the mock completely destroy the place because like both of those bands are just you know so heavy and like taken was you know whatever kind of melodic hardcore stuff so like i'm just sitting there watching everybody murder each other and being like cool so we're gonna go ahead and play after that and i remember ukula the mock because their parents were driving them because they were like 15 years old and i just yeah they were so young you were you were the only other person like that i think i've ever spoken to that knows who that band is i love it oh they they had a they had like a like a sister band uh the band fault oh yeah that's right that's the same area it's fault so but i'm kind of steering towards my mention of fault throughout this long story i'm telling i love it so <laughs> so we we met uko the mock we played a show together in uh in brockton that's um whoever we had been playing with and we had kind of wormed our way in there or like found ourselves i don't remember who we played with i think maybe it was a diecast show or something that we we got on because i had booked uh this kid, Joe, he was in a band called full view and I uh, booked the show like out of town. I don't remember how we met. I think we played a, a kind of a random show in our John and I, our old band, uh, which was just like a rap core band. That was terrible when we were 17 years old. And uh, we played a show in Providence together, booked, uh, we met through that. And then I like booked his band kind of out of town in like East of mass. And, uh, he's like, Hey, I'm doing a show in Brockton. If you want to play blah, blah, blah. And, and so we, you know, we played the show and then kind of came back a second time no one gave a shit about us the first time, but we came back the second time and it was, it was kind of a bigger show. Uh, again, I don't remember who was playing, but the people who live in Brockton were, were like, Oh shit. These guys are like kind of hardcore, kind of metal. We're digging this. And they're like doing devil horns and doing like, like we're metal. We're hardcore guys. We don't really have a lot of experience in metal. This is a lot of fun. So we kind of, uh, became cool for a little while there. So we were playing and we shouldn't have been cause we fucking were a bunch of, like skinny twerps we should not have been cool with these like fucking hard ass dudes from Brockton, but they were, they were cool with us and they, were, they thought we were all right. So we play a show, uh, with Uko the mock. We had never heard of them and, you know, stood in the back of the room to watch them. Uh, two singers. I saw this kind of some crazy shit going on. And then they fucking just murdered the place. And it was the most, one of the most, 
incredible things I had uh, still I have ever seen a band do. They were so amazing and terrifying and brilliant and tight. And it, they changed the way we, like as, as a sunset fleet, they changed the way we played. Like we realized that we thought we were like kind of like, oh, we're kind of like a cool band. We're doing some cool shit and we're wild. Like we saw that band playing and it was like, we are not doing enough. Something has got to change. And it really set forward like an evolution uh, of, of our way of writing music. And that band just like, just changed us completely. Like on the spot, that was it. John and I were, became obsessed with the band and that's so crazy. Dude. Still, <laughs> just, still like still a band where somebody like, Oh, fucking crazy bands, crazy bands. I saw this crazy show. And I'm like, I saw fucking Uncle the Mock. You don't know who they are, but they are the best band you never saw. Life sentence and records. If you saw them, they'd be the best friend. you. Yeah, really? Like, yeah, totally. It's like stupid label. Uh, what they do like, uh, excessive torn force, apart torn apart. Like like, yeah, yeah. More like born to yeah, fought. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that fucking that fake call at the end. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's really stupid. Look good. Yeah. But, um, so through Ukla, we're booking Ukla. There, we're going to bring this other band with us. Our like kind of our sister band, uh, the way like the Stooges had when MT5 were close, right? It was Falt and Ukla. They bring Falt with them, and again, Falt, Chris, uh, the singer, was fucking out of his mind. He would do backflips, and he was kind of uh, like a ball of rage, like smashing things. We, we had played a show. We had hopped on a show in like Western Mass somewhere, or. Um, well, maybe it was East Hampton. I don't remember what the fuck it was. Anyway, it's a, a little significant. We just just got on the show, and it was Fault and Seven Day Curse, and I think like we were going to split a set with Fault, and then I don't remember if we played or not because Fault played two songs, destroyed the room. Chris started smashing glasses, sliced his hand open like, in some like obscene, horrific way, and was bleeding all over the place, and he just had to go right to the hospital. And I think we were just like, wow. Oh, that's the end no of that. No sense in us playing. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, who is going to give a shit now? Right. So, uh, and then maybe Seven Day Curse, you know, tried to play and play. Well, like you couldn't follow it. And that was the thing with Ukla and Fault. Like, you couldn't follow it. There was no, there was, you would, it was hopeless to try to play after those bands because they were just so intense. And like, it was like a monstrous, it was just like, um, it, I don't know. You know what I mean? It would be like, yeah, you just can't, right. I, I don't know. Like, the energy, right, the energy like they a, brought, yeah. It would be like opening the fight night card with like prime Mike Tyson. Like Mike Tyson is prime. And then you're like, got to do the next fight. You're like, how am I supposed to entertain a crowd after Mike Tyson just like punched a hole in somebody? Now I got to like stick a move or do, you know, like, who would give a shit? And that was sort of how we felt about it. Like this band's going to come, they're going to, fucking kill everybody and then we're gonna <laughs> and then we're gonna play through our like really shitty like crate heads and like oh, all <laughs> like, course your metal zone yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're like we're really rocking guys and it was just like it was just there was no point yeah. um yeah no that's really so, that, that, yeah super super funny but fault had brought to us the death core moniker and i didn't label themselves as, as death core because they were really heavy chris had kind of like a death metal voice and we were like, oh, I've been doing that kind of death metal shit. Like, we, we like to call, think of ourselves as kind of deathcore-ish. And, uh, you know, now it's something else entirely. It's its own genre or whatever, but no one was really using it in the late 90s. Um, and, and, and so we kind of found ourselves. We, 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 we liked to call ourselves deathcore, but didn't really push it. And it never right. really caught on. But we were introduced to that term through fault. 
Um, Interesting. Yeah. 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 No, that, that's, <laughs> I appreciate that lineage. That's, that's funny. Hey guys, it's Jack O'Brien, co-founder of crack.com. And I host a twice daily news and culture podcast with the funniest person I know, Miles Gray. What an honor. Uh, it's what an true, honor. Miles. Please, tell, Please tell them more about how hilarious I am. Don't tell them about my background in politics as a political operative or anything like that. Just keep going on about the funny. I wasn't going to. Okay, that's fine. Guys, you can come get caught up on what is happening without feeling the life drain out of your soul at the Daily Zeitgeist. You can find us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free uh, um the uh the you, you, in all your previous interviews and you know most people have brought this up so i'm not going to belabor the point but um that i'm tangential no not no 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 that you are uh you know that, that, you've, that you've and you mentioned it earlier where you know you've struggled with uh, substance abuse and you know you've had uh you know you got introduced to you know drugs and alcohol pretty early on in your life um you know, was it, was it one of those things where, you know, once you first started to, you know, drink and do drugs and stuff like that, was that just, um, you know, kind of a function of the sort of, you know, anchorlessness that you were talking about and just being like, Oh, these, these dudes are cool to hang out with and, you know, smoke some weed and get drunk and stuff like that. Um, was that kind of, or, or was it boredom or just kind of a mixture of it all? I, you know, my, my friends started doing it. Uh, my, you know, it, it wasn't well hidden. Um, my father didn't do a good job hiding it while I was growing up, but, you know, there would be, um, there were drug dealers hanging out and, and, and drugs were just left around the house and no one was hiding. They used to, my father hung a lot, was, was a biker and he hung a lot of bikers. And so there were a lot of fucked up people around people sleeping all over the house. And, uh, you know, I have a vivid memory of, 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 uh, like a, scale like we you know there are these old scales that uh you, you probably see in um uh, there's a scene in uh with goodfellas or something where ray liotta is go to see his, his girlfriend on the side and, and she's weighing everything out and you get these old old scales and like scale on each side and we put it right on top of the table it was, a, it was kind of big and clunky and uh as a kid it was fun to play with to try to like put stuff on it but you know there would be a uh, i remember like a fucking scale like coke on the scale like and, and it was just around so um it was kind of like as a kid and as and um i've always been very sensitive and emotional so it was kind of scary to me but it didn't seem strange or uh dangerous really it was just kind of it was just something that made me feel a little weird but it's simultaneously normal. I don't, I, I really don't know how to explain it. Um, maybe I knew that this was, uh, unacceptable because it was not the life I had with my mother. So I was living in two different worlds. Right? Where I, Monday through Friday, I went to school in the morning. My mom worked real hard by herself. Um, and you know, that, that, that was life. I didn't swear. I went to bed on time. And then it was like, the gloves were off on the weekends and, and it's like, I didn't have to go to sleep and I had to change my clothes and was going to take a bath. You just ran wild. Uh, I yeah. could s- swear and do whatever I want. Cause my dad was just like, you know, unconscious. Most of the time. So, and there were just people in and out and all over the place. And it was like, you know, all kinds of crazy, awful shit going on. Right. So, you know, when I started getting high with my friends, it was just like a thing that I oh, used to do this. This is like what we're doing now. We're, 
whatever age and someone just got a hold of drugs like so you know someone oh, i guess weed if you want to smoke out of this crushed coke can oh like, yeah sure why not like, I don't know. Well, okay yeah, okay. yeah. no one's and, watching uh, Right. And you just sort of get the habit of like, well, the liquor cabinet's open. So you drink out of it. There, there was no, there, there wasn't like a home. More it's the sad thought, like, is this for me? What should I do? I'm scared. I don't know. My friends are doing this. Well, maybe I should find some new friends. It's just like, All right, we're, we're doing this. Now we're doing this. Um, I, I'd say that like, perhaps with my exposure, to like so to, to like like heavy narcotics or whatever that were around and see saw people real fucked up was kind of, was a little bit scary and i think I like sometimes when when i had friends that got like into heroin that's what i was kind of like yo this might be going a little too far yeah, hey, hey, hey guys a little this is too fucked up. Yeah, yeah 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 we're like i mean a little beyond i like i loved doing like lsd as much as I could. I took a lot of LSD. Um, you know, I got stoned all the time. Snort little things here and there, but I never liked speed because it made my dick feel really weird. Uh, so I, I never, I didn't get into speed and didn't get, like do, didn't do a lot of coke or anything like that. Cause it just made my body feel terrible. And, uh, even now if I drink too much coffee, I feel fucking awful. I feel like, to die <laughs> like, yeah. I drink a lot of coffee I get all fucked up so um, you know it, 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 these were things that were just they were just around and some of it just I fell right into or I fell into it but just kind of like you know walk into it and then, like and then, oh someone left the door open let's just enter the room so but again there were times where like there was a door open to a room and I'm starting yeah you guys are like oh, I'm gonna close this door real quick and you guys can do your shit in there yeah so there, 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 it, you know, there, there was a voice in your head that was like, okay, like I, I could, you know, lose myself here, but like, I, yeah, I can, I'm fine in these other areas, but I know my limit, so to speak. Yeah. You know, and there were moments and, and a lot of it was, my dad was so fucked up, right? My brother got real fucked up doing drugs and all that kind of shit. And I really love my brother so much and seeing him kind of like freak me out and upset me. And I think I like that helped me kind of steer away from like really hard shit to that uh, at that point um and then you know when i was in junior high or maybe my freshman year high school i think it was a freshman and uh, you know some really good friends of mine started hanging out with uh these uh, nazi skins uh in our town just like despicable shitty shitty guys like started a fucking skinhead nazi group um you know, we're jumping each other in and all. It's like really corny bullshit. It's like, yo man, we live in a fucking small town. Like there's no, like there aren't any black people here. Right. So, I don't know what you're fucking like going crazy over. So they, uh, you know, they were just getting a lot of dumb shit. And a lot of those guys are like selling heroin and like doing all that fucked up shit. And it just seems like, yo, I just want to like listen to metal and go to practice and play songs and, get fucking stoned and maybe trip uh, and go out into the woods and just like talk about the fucking stars man and what it all means so but like <laughs> yeah, you, guys you, you had different shit. right you had different yeah. you had different ambitions and honestly i appreciate that the uh you know parsing those two i guess motivations because yeah people you know 
people sometimes, you know, once they get introduced to, uh, you know, that particular lifestyle, there is one of two doors that you go into one where it's like, you're like, yeah, I like the drugs and everything, but like this whole, you know, criminal enterprise, like that's pretty exciting too. Whereas some people like yourself are just like, oh yeah, man, I just, I just like to do these drugs because like, you know, it kind of makes me, uh, you know, feel weird and I think about music differently or whatever. Yeah, we're having a good time. Like we're yeah. having fun. Yeah. Like I can't, uh, I can't do anything if I'm, I'm like unconscious because it just like shot up all this bullshit. But uh, you know, you know, it, it, it was sort of the nail in the coffin of my view of um, heroin and all that shit like that, where they were hanging on these these Nazis and and and, and these were like good friends of mine. Like one dude, I was playing like he was in my first band. He played guitar in the first band I was in. Um, and he was hanging on these dudes. And like one night he didn't go out with them. They all went out. They went out to some party. Uh, something happened. Uh, something got in a fight or an argument at the party. They all left, went to one of their houses. Uh, and it was just like a high school party. Like, like fucking white kids. Parents are out of town. Got their khakis. These fucking Nazis show up. There's just like an argument. They leave. They come back with bats and knives and fucking kill people. And they all went to prison. Like good friends of mine, like a, a good buddy of mine, uh, this girl that I was really good friends with, fucking killed these people and had to and like, yeah, went and heavy shit went to the state Walpole State Prison, you know, in where we lived. Like that's some fucking scary shit. And and did like ten, fifteen years there. Like that's. It was on the news. Oh, fucking Nazis! But what's Nazi group in their town? It was like, yo, these. <laughs> this is unreal. This is this just like fucked us up. Um, you know, and and my buddy who I was playing music with was just like, by chance, didn't hang out that night. Like, didn't go out with him, and he had to like rethink his whole shit. Yeah. You know, grew his hair back out and stuff. Was just like, yo, <laughs> yo, I gotta go the other like, way. Yeah, I was like, nah. I was with some people who were not okay. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, you're young. You, you like, you, and, and when you're young, you don't know who you are, right? You don't. You, you have no uh, uh, sense of where you are uh, in a literal sense of of you know globally, right? Like what it means to be where you are, and and on a like ethereal level or something, where like who you are and. and what it all means or some kind of shit like that. Like where you're like, we're all floating in the ether or something. Or like, are we all connected or like in that kind of like spiritual silliness? Uh, not that all spiritualness is silly, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So one compared to the other is like one's tangential, right? And one is like, you know, else world. So, you know, weigh the two against each other and you got to find somewhere in between. But, you know, when you're young and you, and you don't have any uh, concept of the world around you, it's easy to get, sucked into something that's right there in front of you um, because you've never been, you know, you, you know, you've never been to the other side of the country or you've never, you know, you've never seen the Pacific ocean or something or you've never been to a foreign country. You really haven't never had to tread the language barrier between, uh, you know, I, I loved, I loved when I was working in Boston and we would work in houses, you know, with delivering appliances and installing appliances and you end up somewhere where somebody just like doesn't speak English and you had to figure out, how do I explain to this person what, that some issue has come up? How do we handle, handle the language barrier? I fucking love that. It was, just, it was so fun to like, try to figure out how to interact with people in that sense. So, but when you're in, you have no idea, like that, that you know, a, a difference in, in um, like socially, you can't even fathom it for the most part when, when you have no experience, especially when you live in places, uh, you know, Renton, Massachusetts or uh, Plainville, Massachusetts or little towns like this. 
Um, so it's easy to get kind of caught in something that seems fun to belong to. Yeah, I'll join your Nazi skinhead group because yeah, it's I don't a community. really know it's a community. black people, so yeah, fuck yeah. it, right? Like, we're all white. We're, and, and, you know, so, and, 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 you know, it's fun to belong and be a part of something and have an ideology, right? And that's why people get caught up in religion, right? in the ideology, and, and I'll say the word mythology of like, oh, it's this, and it came from that other thing, and it all means this, and follow this path because of this, this is like fucking deep thing. You know, that shit's kind of fun. That's why people play Dungeons and Dragons and shit, right? Because you follow these rules and guidelines, and it's kind of fun to do it. But eventually, you gotta put the fucking or the game back in the fucking box and put right. it on the shelf and, and move on with your day. And, and, and some people just don't. Yeah. Some people don't. And they so, get stuck there and they think they're a fucking wizard. Uh, and I mean, in the general sense of like whatever it is you're doing. Right. right? Yeah. Now I'm a stupid, dumbass, piece of shit, Nazi. And now I'm in fucking prison because I just thought I was a because I just stabbed some white guys. I just stabbed a bunch of white kids. Yep. Fucking moron. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like, craziness man yeah i don't know no no totally Ooh, yeah <laughs> I, I think about that because you know i have i have kids now and i worry about like like i didn't listen to my dad oh i mean i didn't listen to my dad he's a fucking idiot but like you know any adult would talk to me like oh you don't know what you're talking about and i think that now it's like well now i have life experience and i know things my kids aren't gonna listen to me i'm gonna be like oh drugs are gonna fuck you up you know and I'm like, yeah dad, thanks i'll figure it out you're like no Seriously, if I could show you inside of my brain how drugs will fuck you up, <laughs> like totally. Please don't do drugs. Yes, like, if I, like, you know, like and like the most desperate plea for it. Well, you know, if do, you could, how how old are stupid shit I've done? How how uh, how many kids do you have, and how old are they? I have two kids. Uh, one's uh, I'll be five in May. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. What month is it right now? January. Yeah. Yeah. So he'll be five in a couple months, and then. Uh, my other boy just turned one uh, in December. Nice. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. It's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's nice because, you know, you only have to get half the gifts at that point. You just buy some shit for your birthday and you give the other half of Christmas. Yeah, you exactly. You get screwed out of that, but. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that, that's their fault for being born. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's fucking, it's his problem. He doesn't know how to do it, not me. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, two last things I want to hit on was the, um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, basically everybody always talks all about your, it's like, Oh man, Lex is, you know, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier. He's so crazy on stage, swallowing microphones, spitting on people, you know, urinating, getting arrested and whatever. It's like every piece that's ever been written about you. Um, you know, people always mention that. Um, and usually it's from like, Oh, this is a pithy, funny headline or whatever. Um, I, the thing that I'm interested in is the fact that, you know, there are, you know, when you, when you have those sort of, uh, experiences at a show, it goes one of two ways. One being either, uh, you know, really, really bad where people are just like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, you know, you're inspiring reaction and that's cool. Um, but on the flip side, I'm curious, like, I'm sure that there's like a moment or two where, you know, you were, you know, behaving in that sort of manner and it just like, quote unquote worked. Like people were just loving it. They felt it. Um, you know, do you, do you have any sort of anecdotal moments that you can think of where it's just like, Oh man, like I pushed the envelope and the audience followed completely along with what I was going on. Yeah, it happens. I mean, it happened too, go too well sometimes. Well, I think that's kind of something I do with now, right? Where people will say, you know, they'll yell good naked. You're like, come on, you know, I'll, I'll get there if I get there. 
you know, but right. Let's, let's be, let's be patient. Nobody, no, it's just starting. Yeah. I'm, like, I, yeah, I'm a dad. You, you don't want to see my dick. All right. It's so it's okay. It's like, those days are over. But uh, of course, at the same time, you never know. I might end up naked at some point. Um, yeah. I mean, there are times where I've just done something that maybe almost went too far. Um, I've done a lot of stupid, crazy shit. Uh, we were playing with, we were the locust in, uh, 2006 or 2007, maybe. Um, and we were playing somewhere in Chicago and they had a light rig. They had, it wasn't a normal venue. It was like a, a hall. I don't, I don't remember. I think they kind of, they did shows sort of regularly, but it wasn't set up. There wasn't a stage standing that was used on a regular basis. You, they would come in, they'd set the whole rig up and all that kind of shit. And they had a, light set up that just was on either side of the stage and went up and then it crossed sort of like a little, uh, you know, 90 degree angles on like a, not an arch, obviously didn't uh, curl, but you know, there it was. And I started hanging and swinging from it. And a guy grabbed the back of my belt, my pants, as I was kind of swinging the crowd. And in my sort of semi-conscious state, I realized that the whole lighting rig was kind of starting to sway and move a little bit and multiple people had to grab and kind of steady the whole thing. And it wasn't until after, or even like years later, I thought, because I thought about that, I was like, oh, things are fucking falling over and getting all crazy. But, you know, years later, I started to think like, I could have like, that could have fallen into the crowd. That room was full of people. I could have fucking killed like dozens of people had I just right. climbed up this rig a little further and like swung if someone didn't grab a hold of me. And just, you know, how, how, and in a sense of like, thank God that happens, people get hurt, blah, blah, but like on a deeper sense, it's like, how would I kind of deal with that, the guilt of like having killed all these people because I've drunkenly climbed up something I really should not have. Um, and I should blame myself on my own responsibility, but I just think, like, why didn't anyone tell me not to do, like everyone knew what I was going to do. I'm a fucking idiot. Like, you know, I ask, we ask for a long mic cord for a reason. And it's not because I'm going to stay on the stage for very long. So uh, maybe anticipate that I'm going to climb up something, do something stupid. Um, but, you know, John has stories that, that I don't have because I don't remember them. But, you know, I had to put the microphones up my ass and you know, we'd have, we used to have to buy microphones and they got to do something disgusting with them. And John would tell sound guys, we have to pay sound guys for gear because they were never going to like beat me up. Like we're really angry sound guys. Cause I had drunk me stuck something somewhere. Right. Um, but, and, and people, and, and I can't think of a time where, cause, cause people either love the fucking absurd ridiculousness, uh, of what's happening. And I feel like more often than not, people are sort of prepared for that. And, that's true. Um, at this at this point, that yeah, I mean, this is an extreme example, but it's like yeah, if a person's going to a Gigi Allen show, like clearly, you know, they know what they they should know what they're getting into. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you yeah, you're going to see a small dick and someone's going to throw shit at you. Yep. That's, these are the two things you need to be prepared for. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you're at a Gigi Allen show and you're and you're saying like, well, what's going? It's like you're in the fucking wrong place. But, yes, you have uh, done your homework. And I, and I yeah, I think that for eventually we kind of got to that point where. Um, we didn't get right there. It was a little more, not necessarily wholesome, but there was a lot of nudity early on. I think that one of the early shows we did, we were playing uh, in Philly and somebody from relapse records was at the show. 
we were told, like, oh, so-and-so from relapse. And like, I think John maybe talked to him beforehand. Like, we wanted to be on a fucking label. I'm like, we want to be on relapse. That's, that was a cool label. And we were about to start the set and I just got naked. And apparently the guy was just like, it's not for me. And he just wasn't interested and left. Uh, like, and they're going to shoot, shoot us, shot us in the foot with that one. But uh, yeah, things escalated over time. And, and I think that the audience kind of were coming with us uh, as that was going on. So as things are a little more out of control, people were a little more prepared for it. I think I, I don't, I don't know how many people had never seen us before and had no idea that something, uh, you know, grotesque was about to occur to their eyeballs. Um, but no, I, 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 there was a, we toured with Pelican. I think we were in maybe fucking Winnipeg or we were somewhere and I had gone, it was a large room and there was, we had none of us, we had no business playing there. And I had gone to the back of the room at a really long cord and I got all the way to the back room where there was a bar and I climbed up on top of a bar. So there were people who were just there to drink at the bar. Didn't give a shit that there was a show. And I stood on their table where they had the drinks and spilled drinks all of these people. And this guy got up and his girlfriend, oh, threw his arms up and flipped me off and this whole thing. And I thought, oh, this poor son of a bitch, she's just like trying to have, hang out here and have a good time. And I've just like stepped all over his, all over his night. And like literally. Um, but at the same time, I was like, no, oh, fuck you. Like, this is my show and I'm playing the show. Yeah, like, exactly. There's, like, there's, 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 but there's a give and take. There's a good deal of selfishness, right? Yeah, you know, um, because you'd think this guy would think like, I hate this shit, this shit. I'm going to stand as far away from the stage as possible. And I still went out and fucking ruined his night. So, yep. Um, I, I understand, yeah. understand where you're coming from. <laughs> a bit of an asshole at times, yeah. but, uh, yeah. it's not malicious. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm just having a time. Yeah. You're just sorry. Just, just doing you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to play, trying to, I can play a show. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the, the last thing I want to hit on was the, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, obviously you released a new LP and, uh, Oh, it, right. That, yeah. That whole record you released, it, it was, uh, nice. it's funny because I listened, so I listened to it and, uh, I, I, I just didn't, I didn't like it. I was like, nah, I, I, uh, I just, it, it just didn't do it for me. But then it was funny. Our, right. our mutual friend, uh, Jeremy Bohm, who was like, I'm going to tell you, yeah, I'm gonna stop for a moment. And say I listened to that episode, dude. And, and yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> where Jeremy was very excited about it. And everyone else went, ah, yeah, yeah. but it was still, yeah. it was, but he unlocked the record for me. Where he was like, "Yeah, dude, just just skip the first song," which I know obviously is an insult to you know you and the art that you create. But like li- <laughs> literally, once I did that, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, and ever since then, I mean, honest, honestly, that's what prompted this entire conversation to happen. Where I was just like dude, this, this record absolutely would have been on, you know, my, my favorite records of last year. I just didn't have that, that portal in there of, of like, and I don't know what it is like, cause I, now I, I listen to the record as a whole and I understand it more contextually, but, um, I don't know. It, it, anyways, the, the point I'm trying to make here is, uh, you know, the fact that it still sounds so distinctly daughters because, you know, there's, there's all of the, all of the members exist in the band, but right. as you guys were putting this together, we're, um, you always have those discussions on like, you know, are, are we putting out a record of things that, or the expectation of what daughter should sound like in 2018? Or is this something that just basically, as you guys started to write, like that just started to kind of, you know, come out because, you know, clearly there's always that conversation that goes on when you're in a band of like, you know, how are we kind of like framing this and like sort of working this? Um, I don't know if that's, yeah. that's a consideration you guys had. 
Yeah, there, I mean, there, there were, I mean, as far as assembling the record, uh, just the songs, it, it, it was, uh, you know, it took, it took a while and um, we had a kind of a cache of songs. Like there were just, you know, a Dropbox filled with, filled with songs. And um, of course, you know, we all live in different parts of the country. So we would, we were kind of working together and, and, and um, through the Dropbox and then uh, discussing things through uh, emails and text messages. And uh, occasionally we, we get together in Providence to, to work on things. But, um, you know, Nick was, was sampling along with, with um, you know, film scoring. And I think that he, he wanted to sort of utilize space. And so that, so we, we began to do that uh, in some areas. But, of course, there are songs like The Reason They Hate Me and other things that were standing out that, that we all really liked these songs. And, and it was a matter of putting together and writing and focusing on material that we all really liked and then later figuring out how it would all go together. So there was a kind of a, there were a lot of complexities to, to creating the track listing. Like that was probably one of the hardest parts of, of putting the record together. And yeah, listening to the first song, I mean, I had moments where I saw like, yo, we're asking, we're, we're asking people to listen for like a minute and a half. Like it's 90 seconds before this song starts. Like we're asking a lot from people. Right. Uh, but but, uh, but you know, with that, and, we, and I think we understood that because, you know, we did it anyway and because we knew that ultimately as far as, as the record is an entire, is an entire piece of art, it, it was important that this was here. And it was very important to me that Guest House was the last song and we had kind of debated about maybe this song, maybe this song. I said, this has to end this record. Like this is, this will be the perfect ending for this record. We have to. So there, there was a, just, Lots of debating and, and everybody had ideas and we were trying to figure out how to make it work. So uh, I think maybe times like that was one of the hardest things of trying to put the trackers together. Um, because yeah, as you, a person who had to get through that first song, we just, we had to not be concerned with that, that we, we knew that was going to turn people off. But ultimately in the grand scheme, when we people look back, such as yourself did when you, skipped yeah. it and then yeah. someone said, well, I'll just get past this part and you did it. And now you, now you see the whole thing. It was like one, uh, whole piece of piece of music. Um, you know, we, we, we kind of wanted to get rid, And that's what I pushed with the, the album title. When I suggested the album title, it just seemed like, let's just call this record. You know, we call it, you won't get what you want. Maybe in some way we'll take the pressure off of ourselves. And, maybe foreshadow for people that if you to, to not bother coming in with any expectations about what we're going to do, because it, how do you come back eight years later? How do you not do anything for eight years Yeah, and put out a record and you know, without, um, you know, people thinking like, Oh man, they've been gone for eight years. Some crazy. They're going to do something wild. Like this is going to be the record. And you thought like, that's fucking crazy. That's just too much to expect from us and to ask of us. So, and it's too much to ask of ourselves you know, and thinking like that and, and, and writing under those kind of constraints would not only like damage the process and, and would, we'd end up maybe toning things down and cutting it back. And now do I think the track, sh the record should open with 90 seconds of a repetitive drone? Yeah, I think it should. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, like, like, now, now it should. 
you know, there's a, in the flammable man, there's a long noise part. And I can seem like, yo, this is too long. This is like, it's going to get annoying to listen to. And then now I look at it and I think, yeah, it's perfect. I mean, it's good. Like, yeah, that had so, to be done. Yep. We just had to do that. Um, and perhaps some of it is me trying to like, you know, uh, soothe myself in some way that, that perhaps we made a mistake somewhere. But I, I like to think that it all paid off and worked out and, you know, uh, and, and we can, cause we can only do so much. Like we can't expect people to love this record. Um, we can't demand that they do. It's, you know, up to everyone to listen and decide. And I think the most we hope for is that people will give it the chance. Um, even if they have to be prodded, such as yourself. Well, I felt so, I, I, I felt like I, it was one of those things where I was primed to like the record because I had liked all your previous stuff and it was it, the, uh, you know, w- once I got over that hump, I, I really <clears throat> obviously enjoyed it. But then the, the one thing that I, uh, also observed and I, I promise this is kind of the last thing. It's like the, um, you know, the not knowing the sort of film composition of your other, you know, band member that, you know, he had been working in that because to me, this, uh, you know, this weirdly sounds like, um, you know, something that, uh, you know, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, if they were like, all right, like we got to make a band for a particular soundtrack. So like, let's do, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. It's just this weird thing where it's like, it has this, this texture of that, you know, it, it could be placed within the context of, you know, film and there would be like, you know, no questions asked whatsoever. So, um, it, I just find it interesting, like hearing you mention that fact that it's like, oh yes, like that's what, that's what, uh, you know, a fellow member was doing for a while. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a cinematic feel to the whole, the whole record. It almost sounds like you could sit and listen to it, but it might belong somewhere else. Um, you know, it might be some like, uh, 60 minute art house film or something right, right. or, or maybe this is, you know, um, you know, sometimes you, uh, watch a film and then there's a big song in there, but they kind of cut the song up, you know what I mean? Like, well, this part's here and it didn't really go here. And they took the chorus out to like push these two little pieces together. So that it would fit in the 30 seconds they need it. Sometimes it seems like, Oh, here's a song from that scene in the movie, but it's the uncut version. It's expanded. And it was actually six minutes long. So, you know, there, I think there are instances like that where the songs behave in, in kind of a, a strange way and, and maybe have this double meaning or even live this double life where it's a, it's a songs record here, but it's also this like scene from some film that this person spiraled into, uh, you know, through shame and guilt into some sort of insane uh, hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't. I don't know. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't a decision that we made. I think that, that, that this record wasn't. Yeah, it, it was something we were doing, and we didn't necessarily. I don't want to say we made it work, but there was just a lot of shit we liked, and we had to figure out like we had to focus on something and say like, all right, let's give this is like all the attention it deserves. And then it really like kind of freed Nick to, to really put a lot into some of these songs. Yeah. Um, you know, that, and I, yeah, I'd, I'd say that I think this is the best thing we've ever done. And, and not in a way where like bands get old. Cause we like talked about Roger Waters earlier and you just kind of go, yeah, it is good, but I'm, come on, I think Floyd is kind of a fucking, that's <laughs> pretty amazing. Uh, and they say, no, 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 the, one of the material I'm doing now is a favorite, but like, 
I, I really think that we, we've done something um, special for for us and for our for this band. Yeah. But you know, in, in an egotistical type of way, uh, you know, I think like these are like some crazy. Like we're living in sometimes seemingly end times. Like that things are so bad. Like how much fucking bad can it really get? Yep. And I, and I at times I look at this record and think like we just wrote the end times record. Like we just wrote the record for it. <laughs> right, right. Like totally. It's fucking like spiraling out of control that is happening like on a political sense and a, like societal. And then, and, and like it's, I think reflective of this mood. And so that's like throughout the, uh, you know, that's in the air that everyone's breathing without intending to do that. Um, and it could be just dumb luck that we did this now. But, um, yeah, I, I think that we, yeah, we've, you, we've you did the damn thing. You really did the great. damn thing. Yeah. So we did, I think we did something great and I have no problem saying, that. I think we've made a great, like a great record. I feel you, man. I, I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, glad. Well, Lex, I could, uh, I could probably stay here for another hour, but, uh, you know, I think that would be punishing our, uh, the uh, audience of the podcast. <laughs> so I, of course, right. but I really, I, I appreciate you hanging out, dude. This was uh, super fun. And I, I did not know your, your knowledge of, uh, really, 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 uh, obscure, uh, metallic hardcore went as, as deep as it did. So that makes me even happier. <laughs> well, I lived it, man. I know, dude. Shit. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yep. That was Lex. Great. Right. The thing that made me so stoked about Lex, among many things, is his just nerdy, nerdy, nerdy knowledge about like completely irrelevant like hardcore bands. Because I don't know, it's not a um, it's not something I'm proud of, but I tend to be the person that most people text when they're like, "Dude, what was this band? They were on some random label." They give me like very little information to work off of, and I'm able to figure it out. Uh, my, it's just, that's just the way my brain works. And I could tell Lex, that's how his brain works as well. So that's what we got. Loved it. And what do we have next week? We have the best of 2006 with my friends, Joey and Jeremy, man, I love, we did this last year with like our best of 2007 and this one was even better. Not even from like an embarrassing standpoint. We actually, we looked at our list and we were just like, Dude, I ride for all these records still. These records are so good. So we will talk about our best of 2006 lists, our top 10, our favorite records of 2006. So hopefully that's a nice uh, nice walk down memory lane for you or maybe even discovering records that came out back then because you weren't even old enough to listen to certain, you weren't even old enough to listen to music back then. But anyways, that's what we got next week. And uh, until then, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time, and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.